Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Before we get started today, I wanted to say thank you for having me and that this represents no airline or individual company and it's just a collection of my experiences in the aviation industry for over 10 years or just just around 10 years now and that comes from my experiences my personal research as well as ideas that I'm still forming and grooming out about issues that that create challenges for pilots but also challenges for society as a whole. So thank you for giving me this platform to talk about these important issues. So Leslie, we always like to ask all of our guests at the very top of the show, how did your journey to being an airline pilot begin? And what age did you discover that you had a passion for flight? So my age, my my journey started a little bit later. Um, I would say actually when I was a kid, my grandfather was a uh, B-24 pilot. So it was a four engine bomber in World War II. And that always influenced me. Uh, so I was always somewhat interested in flying and pilot. And I was a bit of a history buff. Uh, but I wound up going into a job for something else. I was in college for writing. I was at an art school. And I... Um, I wound up taking a few flight lessons. Uh, my second lesson was in a super decathlon because I was a little bit nervous uh, flying a smaller aircraft. So I told my instructor, uh, I didn't know what it was capable of. So he's like, all right, I'll take you up in, in this uh, super decathlon on, on day two. So we went up and did some aerobatics over the Savannah River in Savannah, Georgia at sunset. And I was hooked after that, but I did have a job lined up with, uh, another company uh, was working for a nonprofit that put on some uh, events and uh, did services for soldiers and their families. And we were like still well into the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan at that time. And what really, one of the big things that made me make the transition from that job to, uh, to flying is that I never really saw myself behind a desk and I was doing a, a job. I was doing a an event for the families of fallen Navy SEALs, and I just felt like I needed to do more, and I was capable of more. And I knew I was going to serve. I just didn't know in what way, whether it was going to be the military or civilian. I knew I wanted to maybe try flying. And I think also on a deeper level that I also felt like I was kind of coasting in life, and I wanted to do something to push myself out of my comfort zone so I could maybe become a bit of a stronger person. So uh, that was taking the leap into flying, uh, starting flight lessons. And then eventually I did choose uh, to go the civilian airline route. Um, and, and that's how I got in. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. So who would you say kind of guided you and helped you along the way to becoming an airline pilot? Like, what was the biggest help to your success? Okay, so first and foremost, I'd say the biggest help was definitely being raised in a household where my father never questioned. So I have three, three other three sisters. So there's four of us girls, only girls. 
my father never made us question our value as women and never made us question our capabilities. So I never had a cap on what I thought I could do. I always knew that I could do whatever I put my mind to. So that was the first step that didn't hold me back. Um, and then the second thing, I think throughout my career, um, now working for a major airline, um, and I've, I've been here for a few years, uh, that I've definitely had tons of people help me along the way. I mean, I think almost everybody I've flown with, instructors, um, instructors, captains, colleagues, um, all along the way, people have had a helping hand with me. And I have to say, uh, ma the majority of those people were men. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you guys today is I did want to give this more tenured, um, tenured uh, perspective on um, climbing through the industry and now being out of the honeymoon phase of the industry and, um, and kind of understanding what this job is and contending with this job um, versus just being fully in love with it all the time. So I wanted to talk about that. And I also wanted to talk about um, the men in this industry, but not just in this industry. Um, and I mean, this goes for women as well, but since it's the majority of men, I'll, I'll just stick with that but not just in this industry, but as in society as a whole and um, how men are being treated kind of with a, a sort of a, a dogmatic view of being responsible for all of the ills in society. And taking a closer look at that, I think what really opened up my perspective was um, I was curious about learning more about men and their personal struggles, um, just having flown with so many um, you know, they're not usually as conditioned to, uh, or say maybe not very, very conditioned at all to kind of speak about their issues. But sometimes I would have people open up to me about things that I don't think that they would speak to anyone else about, you know, we're spending hours upon hours in the plane and things get talked about, you know, up in the air, things get talked about. So, um, one of the things that I, I got into was learning about men and, and kind of men in society. And a book I read really opened it up for me. It was called um, uh, I Don't Want to Talk About It. And it's about the hidden legacy of male depression. And, um, and it just kind of shows the, the difference between how men it shows the difference how men, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going on like kind of a, a rant. I don't know if this is what no, you're, you're looking fine. for. So, okay. So I just want to tie this in and like, so people understand why I'm, I'm here and talking to you both. Um, that there's this fact that men don't report being depressed yet they commit suicide more. So there's a disconnect there. And this book really opened up for me, the idea that there's overt and covert depression and overt is depression that uh that we're aware of and covert is hidden and maybe a depression that is some somebody is not aware of so i do think and in, in this book the uh the the psychologist who who wrote it um makes a stand that a lot of men are suffering from covert depression so then adding that all you know for men throughout society and then adding the airline life onto that um, definitely makes for just some major stresses. Um, and then on top of that, with all this, the incentives that 
because I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I'm losing myself here. So. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. Um, I, yeah, I just so, wanted to come off of that too and say like, those are kind of, like you touching on that covert depression. Yeah. I feel like every pilot that we've known that has passed by suicide, it has been that way. It has been very covert in every single person is that I never knew or I I didn't see any signs and they try to read into it later and they're like maybe that's a sign but I think they're so covert there are no signs you know yeah I also wanted to touch on I I admire you you know when Maddie asked you you know who has been the biggest help for you along the way I admire you for pointing out the fact that a lot of your supporters have been male and I think there is kind of this stigma that persists within the female community right now, where if you take a man's side, you're automatically a pick me girl. I don't know if you've ever heard that used. It's like a new term that's being used in the past two years is being a pick me girl. And I think for someone like yourself and also me in the position that I've been in, a lot of the people that have helped me succeed, a lot of the people that have really truly been my biggest supporters, I will say nine out of 10 of them have been men um every single instructor that has lifted me up along the way and bolstered me has been a man every single colleague that I have ever had throughout flight school that you know lifted me up helped me with my homework helped me understand the things that not a lot of other people were going to take the time to sit down and help me with were men and ultimately the the person that inspired me to become a pilot and do what I do right now was my father so I really like that you want to give testament and um honor to kind of just men in general I feel like there is we we have come into a point in society where we just cannot stand men men are getting a wrath of shit right now um but I appreciate you for you know saying that because I don't think there are a lot of women who would have the courage to be able to say that Right. Absolutely. And I mean, we're talking about environments where it's some, in some cases, 30 to one men to women. So of course the higher factor of the people that are going to be helping us are men and influencing us are men. And I've never heard that pick me thing. That's really interesting to me. And I can see kind of where it comes from. Um, and I would say on the flip side, the people who I admire the most in the industry are definitely the women who came before me who did not have nearly as much of a support network um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I would say, yeah, of a support network than as, as I have had. So, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's both a lot of credit to be given to both sides. Yeah. So kind of going back, what was your flight school experience? Like, did you, were you a 141 student? Were you 161 student? And what was your time like during flight training? So um, I did um, part 61 and I, uh, my very first, uh, my private check or my private license, I did on my own. I just went to a local flight school. I hired a flight instructor. I did lessons about two or three times a week. I took my own, my, uh, my own time with that because I was worried about committing to, I was worried. I didn't know if I was going to be the right fit. I didn't know if it was going to be too stressful for me. And I knew in the very beginning that being an airline pilot or being a pilot means that you're going to be taking people's hands into your life. So you, you know, you better be a good fit. And um, I wanted to ensure that I, I could do that. So I did that and uh, successfully gained my private. I knew that the track was good for me at that point. And then I went to a fast track um, part 61 school 
Um, definitely drank out of the fire hose uh, for that, um, but it did prepare me for type ratings later on in life. I was uh, able to understand that fast paced, intense, um, kind of aggressive footprint uh, in order to get my, my other type ratings successfully. So, yeah. Wow. So I just wanted to kind of touch base on this because you said, I think a lot of people don't think about this when they get to the airline level as a pilot, like that's your goal. And then you think, wow, once I ascend up to that status, it's going to be just all golden and great. And I love that you touched on the honeymoon phase. And I have been married to my husband, who's an airline pilot for 10 years. So I'm definitely way past that honeymoon phase and see all the issues with the airline industry and um, have kind of just been emboldened by that. But um, I wanted to know, when did you fall out of the honeymoon phase with with aviation? And it's not so much like that you don't love it, but just so much that you see like the issues in the industry. Mm -hmm. So I never... um had open accounts or anything like that, because I was really concerned as I um, opened accounts or really spoke out about being an airline pilot, because I was very concerned about not having enough tenor and not really knowing what this job was like. So I would say my first few years at, at the regionals, um, making it to a major, you know, I was definitely like enraptured, you know, it's, and you see a lot of it online these days as well. Um, you just see like people flying to cool places or flying planes or empowered women. They're walking through the airport. You know, there are all these cool shots of all these amazing places. And it looks like all the glitz and glamour. Um, I think I fell out of it a little while after getting to uh, the majors. Um, and also it has to do with age as well. Like I'm 34 years old. When I started at the airlines, I think I was 26 or 27 um, getting, you know, getting into my late twenties, early thirties, not only did I go through like a, a, a trans self-transformation with self-awareness and learning and, um, you know, changing myself and really focusing on my goals and what I wanted in life. Um, I, uh, I, I'm also maturing as a woman, so, uh, it, it helps focus all that. And it makes me realize that, or it made me realize that, you know, this job definitely is something to contend with. Um, and you see that glitz and glamour and you want to take a, you know, uh, and you want to travel all the time and sort of be on vacation all the time. Well, fine, you know, you can take a handful out of the treasure chest, but what are you exchanging that for? You know, what are you trading that off for? And quite often it tends to be our family, our friends, our community, our health. Um, so now it's, it's a matter of being in this long-term relationship with a job that I still love and revere, but that I have to ensure that I'm constantly fitting it into the important things that bring value in my life that are not that, you know, that that job does, or that job, my job does bring those things to my life. But, you know, it, it's hard to compare any job to the value of family, friends, and community. So I love that you said that because I, I have had to deal with that with my own husband and, and tell him, you know, at the end of the day, the people that are going to be here for you are not your airline friends and family. If you lose your job, like they'll be gone, but your family will be here. Um, and I know that he has always understood that, but I think it really came out more during COVID when he was off from work for six months and then, you know, contending with a contract and all of that and realizing like, yeah, the people that really care about me are my loved ones and my airline 
is really not my family as they've they've posed themselves as um but I wanted to also ask you so what do you feel are the untold hardships of being a female pilot in a male dominated industry well I think there's definitely a lot to unpack there the first things that come to mind are um the isolation that we sometimes have um gaining assertiveness assertiveness like women tend excuse me that means mean to say like sometimes women tend to be less assertive than males um obviously uh possibly being a, a, having a family. Um, and then I also think a big thing is the attention, you know, that's the day-to-day uh, thing that you don't really think about um, going into it is the attention you're going to get. And it's a double-edged sword because there are big advantages and there are big di- disadvantages. And sometimes it feels like everything you do is amplified. Um, and there is that feeling of being under a microscope. So you know, sometimes I walk into the flight deck and I feel like I'm under a microscope. Sometimes I have people that are kind of overhelpful or apologetic, or, you know, you, you get the feeling that you're their sense of amusement. Um, but then other times, and the best thing is when you walk into the flight deck and you're just trying to go to work and it feels like you've just gone to work and you don't get any of those sort of vibes from the person you're working with. And I think that that's kind of the best thing that anyone can do for, female pilots that they're working with to make them feel comfortable is just treat them like anybody else. So um, that's, that's definitely a big one. I love that you pointed that out because there, I've talked to other females and we've talked to males within this community and industry and there tends to be this, like, I, I understand as women, because we are a minority that we are given certain opportunities that other people may not be given But I like that you said with that comes that other edge of the sword where you do feel like you're being held under a microscope. And because there is so much attention, there's also this attention, this great attention to detail. Um, And what you also mentioned about when people just treat you differently. I've seen this with CFIs, with other people within, even at work. Um, I've had a lot of jobs that tend to be I'm working with males and I might be the only female. Um, And there have just been little certain things that have been said that have never offended me until the person said, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh, I'm sorry, that that was probably offensive. And I'm like, if you just treated me like you're equal, it probably wouldn't be offensive because I can learn how to like roll. But the minute you, you point it out is what makes it so bizarre and weird to me um and not a lot of people understand that and I do think there is another half of it where people really are just truly trying to be respectful and there are certain things that are inappropriate but um it can make it super awkward yeah yeah absolutely um and I've, I've definitely had that as well where you know somebody said something very inappropriate and and they said oops you know I shouldn't have said that and quite often when it happens and I've I've heard numerous female pilots say this that we're almost stunned like it almost feels like a slap in the face because it is not actually it doesn't happen that often so we're caught off guard when it does and usually we don't have the phrases um or the the skill set to to deal with it so you know for instance yeah actually i I won't talk about that instance but (laughs) you know there was there was one time you know i uh at a previous airline that um 
I didn't have the words uh, and I just kind of sat in silence and discomfort. And that was during my honeymoon phase. So of course, you know, when you're in the honeymoon phase, you, you sort of ignore all the red flags. So <laughs> ignore the red flag um, overall. But at the time I was sitting, you know, in discomfort for, you know, maybe two hour flight. And uh, I didn't know what to say. And I wish what I said was that was not, ex- not an excuse to touch me or that was not an invitation to touch me. So, yeah. and it wasn't a, a bad touch or anything like it wasn't too bad of a, like a touch, I guess. I don't really know what you can say on the scale there, but definitely inappropriate, you know, somewhat inappropriate for the workplace. So, um, you know, that's something that we all need to work on and something that I've been doing a lot of personal research on is how to be assertive, how to um, handle these situations, because so often, um, you know, we're coming out of a, a, or at least I was coming out of a world where most of the time I was really dealing with men was a little bit in school, but, you know, I was maybe 25 when I started flying. So, you know, I'd been in the dating world out of bars and whatever else. And um, you wind up being conditioned to sort of go along to get along or because, yeah. you know, if you say something back and you don't say it correctly, that you can get your head bitten off, you know, you can get be verbally abused. You can even your physical, um, your, your physical, um, you, you even your oh my gosh I can't think of the word strength <laughs> yeah well not your strength but you can even be threatened physically yeah so yeah. um you know we're conditioned that way and sometimes we bring that into the the aircraft as well so it's just you know stay silent rather than start a fight in the middle of the air so yeah that kind yeah. of like brought up just a question real quick because I was thinking now that more and more females are coming into the airline industry and there is that the ability for a a male pilot to obviously touch another female female pilot like do they give you guys training on sexual harassment um and or is it just like pretty basic because you're stuck in the cockpit with these males and if they touch you in a in a way and it it actually caught me off guard when you're like I don't know if that was like too inappropriate or, or not that's how women think they're like well there's a certain level of like you've been touched you know that's it's so sad that we are so used to being touched in ways that we shouldn't be touched that now we are like well it wasn't that bad you know like Mm -hmm. uh, it just reminds me of when I myself was working with a chiropractor I was stuck in the building with him he was the only male he touched me on my butt and I couldn't say anything I didn't know what to say I was like I'm stuck in here with this man and he's six five and I'm only five nine and if I say something what will he do so I just stayed silent and Mm -hmm. it's like but what do you say you're also in a cockpit with someone you have to worry about all the passengers in the back so is there some training that they give you or is it just left to you to decide what to do right so at all of the throughout my career at all the institutions I worked for it's been minimal to none so um, that's kind of unfortunate. So you wind up really having to train yourself. And that's one of the, bene- the one of the things that's so beneficial about uh, gaining and having a female network uh, of, of, of female pilots specifically. So whether it's like the 99s or women in aviation or network at your own airline, um, I suggest if anyone's listening and they're, they're working for an airline that doesn't have a, you know, whether it's just like a telegram chat. Um, or WhatsApp chat just for the women at that airline to connect to each other. Um, you know, I highly suggest that because uh, we learn a lot from each other. And what I've heard is that 
you know, it, you, what I've heard and I kind of agree with is every person has to draw their personal line on, on what they think is inappropriate and what isn't. And, you know, what happened to me, you know, it wasn't assault, but it was inappropriate touching. And, um, you know, I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I feel much more, much more prepared uh, for that today, just because of, again, my, my personal research and then, you know, uh, conferring with some of the women that I've, I work with and, and that I, uh, that are my colleagues. So, so what, like if that instance happened again today, like what would you do? What would be your reaction or the steps that you would take? So I don't know why it was so hard. Well, I do know why it was so hard for me to say anything at the time. And that's because like, like you said, um, there's so many things weighing on you, you know, for one, you have to have uh, CRM, you don't want your, your interpersonal, uh, you don't want interpersonal conflict to, uh, to threaten the flight whatsoever. So like, that's another thing that weighs on it. But I would have just said, that was not an invitation to touch me. Um, So, and I think that that would have stopped it there. I think when you do uh, hold your boundaries and you are, um, you know, you are assertive that people tend to respond to that. And a lot of people respond to it well. Some people don't respond to it as well. And then you have to worry about the whole thing. Am I going to, if I stick up for myself, am I going to be, you know, am I going to be called, you know, the B word or crazy? Um, you know, what is this person going to say? And I've also found, you know, there's a scale. Um, and, and where I felt like either I had to be passive and kind of a bit of a pushover or I was going to be called, you know, the B word or, um, you know, or crazy or whatever else. And I didn't realize, like, I've been trying to find, this is kind of an untold struggle, is trying to find where to be at on that scale, where you don't want to get this reputation and have a, rep, a bad reputation your entire career with your pilot group, but you want to be able to be assertive, give good feedback. And what I found is that colleagues of high value value feedback and they value like good constructive feedback of lesser value, then they're going to react by calling you a name. And uh, so I tend to just focus on the people that have higher value and I will give feedback whether I feel like I'm going to, whether I'm going to be called something or not, it doesn't matter to me anymore. What matters is that the constructive feedback happens. Um, And then I also realized on the scale of being, being uh, um, either passive or, or I should just say the B word, but I just won't do it. Um, That you don't have to be either one. And uh, this new concept I found is called being a winning woman. And that's a woman who has boundaries, who has self-respect and, um, and who gets what she wants. So that's what I'm aiming to be now. I don't have to be on either extreme side of the scale. So yeah. Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten-free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola? 
Well, obviously, y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, besides just eating it straight out of the bag because it's that delicious, I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola, honey, berries, macadamia nuts, maybe some pecans. I don't know, whatever my little heart is feeling. But that is my favorite way to enjoy avinola. And I especially love this company and this brand because A, it's a small business and B, it is women owned and created. We absolutely love Maggie. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to her episode. But you guys can use discount code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of avinola. So code pilots pandemic i was gonna ask you as well um and you may have touched on this with the previous story that you had told about that pilot that unfortunately had the touching incident with you but do you think it's because it's like a generational thing do you think that older pilots are more apt to cross that line rather than the the new generation coming up? So I actually don't think it's, I mean, I, my experience is it's been completely mixed. I mean, recently I've been flying with some older, some people in the older generation and they have been unbelievably courteous and um, like classy. Like I think about them as like the airline pilot class act, like your ideal of what you expect to see from an airline pilot. And that just makes the day. So, I mean, that that makes the trip, the work life, you know, everything so much better. And then I found that while younger pilots are cool to sometimes cool to fly fly with some of the people who are trying to come off so cool and so funny and, you know, like they know everything or whatever else that, that those are some of the more dangerous people that I've come across. So it really just depends on the person and the personality. Um, Yeah that's good because like I always think like oh it must be like a generational thing that's always how I feel about it but it's good that you have pointed out that it's it's more than just like the older older generation um and they are kind of thinning out like soon it will be you know 40s and under I feel like flying airplanes um and especially because my husband and I are both 34 as well and he says most of the first officers he's been flying with have been 30 and under which is Mm -hmm. quite insane for an airline Mm -hmm. so have have you ever like felt and I hate asking this um but have you ever felt sexualized by another co-worker um and how often do you think or how much of a regular thing do you think it is that females within the industry have to deal with sexual assault So I think the second question first, and I think that it's just impossible to know. And I tend to stand with the majority of pilots in my industry and think that there are very few perpetrators that sometimes can ruin the reputation of the many. And I think that uh, when people learn of their actions, that sometimes the men are just as disgusted as the women. Uh, I think quite often they are, um, or possibly even more in, in some in some cases. So while I think the majority of people are fine out there, and I, while I think 
I, I don't, I just do not know how often that happens. Um, you know, and while I think that most of the people are fine out there, that there are some people who have ill intentions, um, and are predatory, are predatory. And in a, in an industry where you have to have, you work on like innate partnership and, um, trust with basically near strangers. And then you're flying all across the country with them. Um, you know, that kind of behavior is, in my opinion, is extremely abhorrent, um, to use these, this innate trust and mentorship and all these things to try to, uh, you know, try to get at women. So, you know, I think it's, it's really unfortunate. I do think it does happen sometimes. It's just impossible to put that number on it. And for me personally, um, you know, sexualize, I'm not really sure what you mean by that, but have I had people say and do inappropriate things? Like, yes, absolutely. You know, sometimes, like I said, this is 30 to one men to women, and it does happen whether, whether people are doing it on purpose or not. Um, so it's definitely something that women need to kind of learn about and learn from each other and, um, arm themselves to a bit, uh, for, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just bisexualized. I I know that's like that's a blanket term, but mm-hmm. you know, just being ever feeling like people making comments about your appearance and and that kind of thing in a way that made you uncomfortable. Mhm. Mhm. Um yeah, to I to some degree I, that's that's happened. Yeah. Um do you get mistaken for a flight attendant often too? Yes. Uh, yes. And I know people have mixed responses on, on this. For me, I do tend to think about the factors. I don't, I try not to take it personally because I do think about the factors that there are a heck of a lot of people out there that don't even know what a pilot uniform looks like. So, and there are, and sometimes when it happens that people are actually pretty apologetic. So, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's like no sweat off my shoulders. Or is that, is it dust off my shoulders? I don't know what that, that phrase is, but sweat off, sweat my off back. your back. <laughs> no, sweat off your back. <laughs> it's okay. We mix our phrases up all the time here. <laughs> um, I just have extra question. sweaty shoulders. You yeah. Know? Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> I kind of wanted to move on to like more like lighter topic and ask you mm-hmm. too, like, do you get a lot of looks from passengers and how does that make you feel? And do kids mm-hmm. like come up to you in the airport and ask you like, oh, what do you do? You know, do you inspire those little kids because you are a female pilot? Yeah. You know what? Actually, so looks in the airport, I've heard I get them, but I really try not to look at people too much or I just try not to give anyone the satisfaction of looking back and I do that not necessarily for them but more for or give myself the satisfaction of having people look at me because you know whether it's good or bad feedback for one it makes me a little uncomfortable if I'm getting a lot of looks and then two it has nothing to do with me you know it's just their perception of my appearance so um there's this book the four agreements uh, by Don Miguel Ruiz and he talks about how you know, nothing is personal, whether it's, or don't take anything personal, whether it's, it's good or bad. So I try not to look, but in terms of people coming up and complimenting, like, yes, it does happen. Sometimes, um, guests at the airport will, 
will say that uh, or will come up and compliment sometimes in the cockpit. Actually, a lot of flight attendants, um, Emma, as to your question as before, um, a lot of flight attendants are really excited and they always say like, I admire you. And one of the things I try to give back is uh, say, I admire you back. And I do oh. admire, gosh, I don't, I don't know if I could, if I could do the job that the flight attendants have sometimes. So um, oh, I love hearing that my mom was yeah. a flight attendant and I have a lot of, a lot of respect for flight attendants. It's like my entire, mm -hmm. everyone that was a female in my family, that's what they all did. I'm the first female to ever pursue aviation in a way that isn't being a flight attendant, but that's such a, it's such a hard job, dude. I could mm -hmm. never. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes for my, uh, my compliments that way, you know, when I try to give it back, I mean, that goes not just for flight attendants, but that's any woman who does something purposely that she feels like will make her life more fulfilling. And that's whether you choose a more, you know, traditional path and you work from home or you're a working a mom at home. Um, or I guess I should say a stay, you do the work of a stay at home mom, you know, that I, I admire that so much. So whether it's more traditional or less traditional, if a woman is doing something that she feels is going to bring, uh, better things or, or, or more value to her life, then I respect that a hundred percent. So, yeah. So, and then the other thing is that women also, um, sometimes I've had women kind of like hype me up, you know, they'll be like, are oh, you a flight attendant? And I'm like, uh, no, I'm, I'm a pilot. And, uh, sometimes they'll actually cheer. And what's so exciting about that is not how it makes me feel, but how much it means to them. And so I definitely do take, um, you know, wearing a uniform uh, and being a pilot, being in, well, second in command of an aircraft, um, but being in command of an aircraft. And uh, I take it extremely seriously because I think we all need to remember as women in uniform that we are representing, um, we are representing women uh, and that we can, that we can achieve anything. So Anything we put our minds to. Yeah, that didn't come out that smoothly, but I think you guys know what I mean. <laughs> no, that's I love so that powerful. you said that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I wanted to say too, because I'm not a pilot and um, I'm married to a pilot, obviously, but when I met my husband, I didn't really think him being a pilot was that cool. But when I meet a female aviator, which is both you two, like, I'm like, oh my God, you guys are so badass. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is, but I love that female empowerment and I love that you guys are doing what many are not. And I think mm -hmm. it's just amazing. It's like, it's just more amazing to me than a man doing it. And, and people are typically just like in awe because you know, that this is a, a male dominated industry. So mm -hmm. I am one of those people who hit, like sees a female, but I'm like, hell yeah. Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They've sourced more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great on, in the flight deck. Our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code PILOTSPODCAST at checkout. So go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more. Again, that's airfarepouch.com to use our code 
Pilots Podcast for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks. Um, so when you are on a layover, what's your favorite thing to do? So uh, when I was newer and I was crazy exploring and every layover was like a vacation, especially, uh, I don't know if all majors do this, but um, the layovers that labors that are longer, they'll put us in a nice hotel um, downtown in each city. Whereas when I was at the regionals, they put us at the airport, you know, kind of at an airport hotel. And I wasn't making that much. So it was kind of hard to go into the cities because I'd have to get an expensive Uber there and back. But um, I guess I love to uh, either walk around, walk or run around the city. Um, definitely antique, boutique, anything. I'm always antiquing. Like to eat. Yes. yes. Yeah. But also just looking for, I always try to look for anything that's like genuine, authentic, and unique because I find going from city to city, especially within the States, a lot of gift shops, a lot of places mm-hmm. have kind of like all the same stuff. So I'm always on the search for for unique and authentic um, items. So, but I have to say now that I've been at the airlines, you know, I've been at the airlines for seven years total, um, not the same airline, but uh, now I just don't go out as much because I'd rather save the moments of like exploring a new city with, um, I'd rather save it to be with somebody that I care, I care for. So I'll, yeah. unless I have to go get food, I'll normally keep to myself. And I, there's at some point you have to stop saying, you have to stop saying like, okay, I'm on vacation all the time. You have to be like, okay, I can't act like I'm on vacation all the time. I've, I've got to like sort of get to work and, and take care of things as I would uh, during any normal work week. So um, I try to save those moments. And especially if it's like international travel um, to be with people that I truly care for. So those memories are, um, you know, are, are valuable to me for a long time, rather than if it's just sort of a, a passing crew and I'm just sort of doing it for kicks that I'm, I'm not going to remember that. It's not going to be as, as value to, valuable to me, um, that experience in that new city. So I don't do as much anymore. <laughs> I love both of your answers because your first one reminded me of my dad. My dad, like, religiously ran wherever he would go I mean he was like it's the best way to see the city um (laughs) but he literally would pack like his running shoes every single trip he's always running but one of my favorite things to do is antique wherever I go and I was just in Ireland and I drug my family into some of the craziest antique shops like there are a couple places we went into where there wasn't even really a back end of the store they had just started stacking things up um through the hallway like there was not enough room left and it was my dream I was like all I want is something unique eclectic something that I know like came from here was loved from here um so yeah I loved both of those answers I'd love to hang out with you girl (laughs) (laughs) but that would be fun your sense of humor is amazing so I'd like to hang out with both of you guys as well (laughs) I know we all need to yeah, for real. Let's all get together sometime. I don't know if you ever like come to Charleston or anything. I'm, I'm so upset. One of our guests that like Mattias hung out with a couple of times that I absolutely love, Tia, she was just in Charleston, which is where I live. But of course it was the two weeks that I was out of town and I was like, darn, this is what <laughs> happens when you make friends with people who travel. It's like they come to your city, but like you're gone. Oh my gosh. 
terrible mm-hmm. but yeah we mm-hmm. all need to like get together sometime and definitely have a few drinks um but anyways <laughs> don't let, don't let me get sidetracked um so my fun little question for you and I had to ask you this because I know we're, we're talking about being more than our looks but Leslie is absolutely gorgeous so of course I had to ask you how long does it take for you to do your makeup at work and do you have any like tips tricks products that you can't live without because I know being on the go and everything with what you do, like I know your beauty routine is probably super refined at this point. Um, thank you so much for saying that. That's really kind of you. And I'm going to throw it back to both of you good looking women as well. Um, in, in terms of makeup, okay, so this is going to sound really basic, but okay, first thing is it just depends the, the amount of time that it takes to do my makeup. It depends uh, just on how much time I have in the morning. So it can be five to, it can be five minutes to 15 or 20 minutes, but if it's like a 4am wake up, like I am, I'm doing absolute bare minimum for that. Um, but the biggest thing is, and I, I know that this is a, like beaten horse sunscreen. So I, um, yes. I have sort of olive skin. I have like a sort of olive mixed skin and I thought, you know, I moved to Florida over 10 years ago um, from New England. And I thought that my, I thought that my skin was going to be like protected and I was fine. So I don't really burn too easily, but I didn't realize that, uh, people with darker skin and people also with lighter skin can suffer, suffer from, um, brown spots, which is, uh, it's called melasma. So it's like some of your skin, um, cells start making like a darker pigment and it's so hard to get rid of because it's at the base layer of your skin and it's caused by sun exposure, inflammation, sometimes hormones, like a lot of women while they're pregnant, they'll, uh, they'll get some of this browning on their upper lip or elsewhere on their face. Um, and then it will go away after, but for people like me, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's probably the sun exposure, but inflammation probably as well, a few things, but, um, you know, for people like me, it can be a lifelong thing that I'm, I'm going to be dealing with. So, uh, a couple things I learned about sunscreen since I did kind of a deep dive into this is that, um, I think over, so SPF 50 is around the most effective from what I understand. I'm definitely not an expert. So you might want to look this up after once you go to a hundred, like uh, above 50, it really doesn't do that much more than 50, but then 30 is way less effective than 50. So 50 is a really good number. So you want to be using that. And then it loses its efficacy after two hours. So you have to reapply it because it, the, the sunscreen actually like, it just doesn't work as it was, doesn't work after two hours. And that's all sunscreens. Then you're not supposed to store it in a hot, hot temperature. So like if you have your sunscreen in your car, that can also make it ineffective. And then the other thing is that, um, you're actually supposed to apply two layers and it should be like on your index. Sorry, I'm getting so into this, but I'm so into sunscreen. So you can apply uh, one line on your index finger and one line on your middle finger. And that would be enough for one layer. So you kind of have to put one layer on that, let another one dry, then put the second, you know, go about your day sort of, and then let the second one dry and you're set. But then the problem is you have to keep reapplying it. So um, this actually is a tip for men as well, especially men who are flying because we are so exposed. Um, You know, there's UVA and UVB rays and supposedly, you know, the glass in the cockpit, excuse me, the flight deck, the the glass in the flight deck um, can help filter some of that out. But, uh, 
you know, adjust to be safe and, and cover our skin, which is our number, or our sun exposure is the number one reason for aging um, of the face, especially. So, um, you know, for men, there's a brand, it's called Elta MD. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to say oh brands gosh, or not. This but is like, hilarious that you're saying this because um, we just recorded with someone who also recommended this. That I know, I was yeah. just about to say that is wild. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, that's so funny. So Elta MD is, um, it's, it's not super expensive, but it's not super cheap either. It's also, um, they have a sensitive skin one. So if you break out easily with, uh, with sunscreens, then, um, that's a really good choice for you. I tend to use either color science, um, the super group unseen scrunt, oh, sorry, uh, unseen sunscreen is really good. If you're don't wear makeup, it's like an amazing layer. You can't even tell it's there and it's really lightweight and it just, it, it doesn't look like anything's there. Um, and then I also use uh, PCA or Color Science SPF. So I'm I'm all into sunscreen. I probably should do like a couple of stories on everything I know about sunscreen right now. <laughs> well, I love that answer because it's like we. I mean, I, obviously everyone knows who's a pilot. Like you're closer to the sun, but I don't hear a lot of people within the aviation space, like especially some of the you know like the more girlier influencers. I'm like. Hey ladies, let's get a, let's get a sunscreen sponsorship or let's like start some <laughs> sunscreen. Like we should do, Oh my God, Maddie. I just came up with, our, with our, with our big <laughs> idea. Everyone's got coffee. Well, we're going to be the first to do sunscreen. sunscreen. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. So last question for you, Leslie is, um, what are your best tips for taking care of your brain health as an airline pilot? Um, you know, so I'm sort of self-taught. I'm an avid, um, audio book reader. I just, I like, whether I'm like cooking, cleaning, driving to work, you know, at the hotel, just killing time. I'm always listening to an audio book. And a lot of what I look at is like mental health, self-care, um, you know, self-healing, all those things. So the number one thing I would say, like, if you don't like how your life is going, um, change your frame, change your frame of mind, like start reading. Like we don't know, there is so much to know, like expand your mind. Maybe you'll learn something that helps change your perspective and gets you out of that frame of mind. But then like for more practical, um, a more practical, uh, application, I would say is, I think I realized recently that I think everyone is born with certain shortcomings and while we're like in our youth, there's a lot of padding for them and we don't really realize them as much. But as we get older, if those shortcomings don't get corrected, they can completely veer us off track and eventually they can become pathologies. So I think what people have to do is take a good look at themselves, like an, an honest look at themselves and ask, um, because only you can really take that account and ask yourself, okay, if I have this habit or this thing that I am doing, and I keep up this behavior, what is this going to look like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? And the, those changes can be so gradual. Sometimes you, you can make excuses for them in your every day, but the changes throughout your life can be so gradual that you're not seeing how you, you need to multiply it by that 5, 10, or 15, or 20 years to see the effects of what it will have. So, you know, for instance, one for me is if I keep accepting last minute overtime trips off on my days off. Um, so like on Saturday and Sunday, that's like the hot time for, for overtime. Um, 
where, where I work. And I used to accept trips all the time on those days. But after you start doing that for so many years, you know, and sometimes those are red eyes trips. What is that? What is my health going to look like? What is my, what's my, what are my relationships going to look like when I have plans with my friends and all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, gotta go fly. And these are not aviation industry people. You know, what are my relationships going to look like? What is my community community going to look like? What are maybe like my, my, my spouse or my kids going to think I don't have either, but just saying, you know, what's my family going to look like if I do this for so long? So I think it's taking stock of yourself because only, you know, best and, and admitting that sometimes the truths that we don't want to see about ourselves, they're unbelievably hard to swallow, but we have to look at them in order to like sort of get on that path of self-healing. I love that. I really like that answer. As somebody who I just turned 23 and um, I know that's still like very young. Everyone, when I tell them that they're like, you're still young, you're still a baby, but I am starting to get to that age where just even physical things where I'm starting to catch up. It's like all the things that I did when I was 16, 17, 15 are starting to manifest itself in physical parts of my body. And I'm starting to become more aware of like, oh man, I really have to start, like you said, taking stock of myself and taking care of myself. These past two weeks were like one of those, I don't know, it was like this spiritual journey where I came home and I'm like, you know, as much as I hate working out, I have, I need to start doing it. I have to start taking care of myself because I'm going to thank myself in 10 years from now. Um, and being around older people, it's like, I've seen people who didn't take accountability and start taking care of themselves young. And now it's affected the way that they're able to live their life now. So I think mm-hmm. that's a beautiful and important message. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And, you know, I think an, another, um, you know, example of that, that's really easy that you guys have talked about in some of your previous podcasts is, is substance is substance dependence. So, you know, if you're coming home from work every, you know, however many days, you know, if you're coming home from work every trip and you're having a drink to wind down and calm your nerves, you know, and then you have to have more and more and more. So, you know, that that's kind of an, a, another like easy example to see, you know, if you multiply this and this is what you're going to, you're going to use for your, you know, to relieve your stress, you know, how's that going to look five, 10, 15 years down the road when your stresses are even higher and things are more intense in your family. And maybe you've experienced, you know, tragedy or whatever else that we, you know, we inevitably face in life. Um, yeah. So that's definitely, uh, I think a, a good general, general, uh, a way of taking stock of yourself. So. Yeah. so Leslie, where can our audience find you? I know everyone's going to want to give you a follow and maybe a shout. So where can we find you? Give yourself a little bit of a plug. Uh, sure. Um, you can find me actually, I'm really only on one thing. I'm on Instagram. I just recently opened it. So I, I don't really have much on there. And I, I personally don't know if I'm going to stay on there. This is a really great plug, by the way. But uh, it's Alexandra uh, at, uh, it's just at Alexandra on Instagram. So E-L-L-E-A-X-A-N-D-R-A. My nickname is L for Leslie. Middle name is Alexandra. So that's where that comes from. But um yeah, you can find me there. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again, Leslie. And as always, when we close out the show, thank you all for listening to us today, but it would help us a lot if you could go and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to this podcast. If you haven't already, hit the bell give us five stars. And if you don't mind, leave a little note about why you enjoy listening to the podcast. Um, As I've said before, this helps spread our message and help us find our way into communities or into the hands of the phones of people that need to listen to this podcast. So if this is something that you support, definitely show the love. Um, And Maddie has a little message for us before we close out. Oh, I just wanted to update everyone. NBAA just had their um, annual NBAA-based like, meeting, and they had a forum on aviation mental health for pilots, and they were able to, because the pilot's pandemic wasn't able to be there, they were able to give some handouts, so we just want to give them a little shout out and say thank you for spreading awareness about the podcast there, and later on this year, we should be doing a collaboration with MBAA and um, be able to be on their podcast as well. Yep. So be looking forward to that. And I also just want to say thank you to them. Um, we're just super appreciative of this moment. I also kind of wanted to give a shout out to the AOPA. Um, I think it will be either this month or next month. They have asked me to be their spotlight pilot of the month and kind of Putting a spotlight on me is putting a spotlight on mental health. You all know my story. So to be able to have larger organizations recognize the platform and recognize my family's story has been really awesome. And I am just forever thankful. Um, And also to my lovely co-host, Maddie, I can never give you more than enough love. Um, But yeah, for now, that's it for this week. And like I always say, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.